Hello, hello, and welcome back to POF The Journey. I am Daphne Colsto, your host. It's good to have you here. Last week, I introduced you to the dynamic my Christian background brought into processing the premature ovarian failure diagnosis and accepting medical intervention in the midst of an ovarian crisis. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I encourage you to do so you'll get a clear, coherent flow of my story. When we left off, I was at a place where I questioned the existence of God, and needless to say, I was starting to harbor a deep resentment for him. Today, I want to dig a little deeper into my train of thought. It's time for my aura time machine. (laughs) The year was, um, no, I'm bad at math. I was 23 years old. And I was sitting in front of a gynecologist in Uganda who told me I had premature menopause. Furious at what I had perceived to be an incompetence on his part, I stormed out of his office and went on my merry ignorant way. Again, at this point, I did not actively have babies or family on my mind, So I asked no follow-up questions and did no research and never looked into his statement beyond attributing it to incompetence. In 2017, however, now married and preparing to grow our family, my husband and I went all in with the blood work and getting a proper diagnosis. This time I asked the questions that needed to be asked, and I did the research. But the findings were even more distressing than blissful ignorance. The lack of real information in the medical world about premature ovarian failure just left us kind of stranded. My reproductive endocrinologist checked for the theoretical possible causes of the condition, which include Turner syndrome, perhaps a genetic defect, chemotherapy, autoimmunity, Toxin exposure. I even remember him asking if I had mumps as a child. Obviously, I hadn't been through chemo. And I can't remember if I was ever exposed to a toxin or not. So all my results gave us no clue as to what could have caused premature ovarian failure. A very frustrating conclusion. And even worse, there is no cure. This lack of information with the conclusion that it is what it is. It's natural selection, made questioning God's existence justified. If God were all-knowing and all-controlling, he knows even the number of hairs on my head. Then why would nature take over this control of a great God? Why could God not control my disobedient ovaries? I indeed felt justified in questioning whether God really existed. One of the things that I enjoyed the most about being a part of the church was music. I had served on several worship teams of almost every church I went to since I was a child. But with everything going on, I felt like a fraud, standing in front of a congregation to sing songs of success, of a loving God, of victory over circumstances, songs of encouragement to those in pain. I couldn't do it. I pulled out of serving on the worship team. It didn't make any sense to sing songs with a message I did not believe. I stopped reading the Bible 
because I found scriptures that proclaimed God breathing life into dry bones or blessing a family up to a thousand generations in the future. I just thought, huh, this stuff isn't for me. My grandparents' blessing has skipped me over and I am only third generation. I've prayed for streams in the desert for my ovaries and there's still no streams flowing, so no more scripture for me. I put away my devotionals, stopped listening to my favorite music, Jesus Culture and Casting Crowns, and I decided it was time to get rid of the Christian baggage. Along my road, and I will say, my road has been long. <laughs> my cycle started acting funny at 15. Today I am 32. So yes, this has been my long 17-year-old road. So, along my long road, I had told only about two friends and a few select family members. These people started to smother me with their positivity. You're all good friends, guys, and I wouldn't change a thing. But I found this positivity toxic. My sisters, one of my sisters in particular, whom I shall not name for my own security reasons, was too positive for me. I was done with all the prayers and well wishes they had for me. So I started to pull away. My 17-year-long reality did not align with their positive vibe. So when I started to pull away emotionally, I stopped talking about my situation with the only people who knew what was going on, including my husband. By pulling out the only thing I knew how to, a smile and laughter, I wasn't being honest with anyone about what was going on inside me. I heaped all my worries and buried them inside me, sharing them with not a soul, not even God. Inevitably, what I built up was a true and pure form of hopelessness. Even the little hope that my faith had brought me, I had given up. I started to get anxiety attacks. My head would randomly feel instantly hot. My heart would feel like it was beating at triple capacity. My vision would go dark and I would feel faint, dropping to my knees, sending my poor husband in panic. I had retreated into myself and this felt like I was stuck in a tunnel. A tunnel so narrow there was no room to turn my head. So I had linear vision seeing only my miserable failed ovaries at the end of that tunnel. My vision was so narrow, I never saw all the people around me trying to care about me, except the space fillers in my body called ovaries. I was ashamed of them. I was ashamed of my body. At the same time, I was guilty to have them. I was so guilty I even started secretly questioning why my husband had married me in the first place. Because he knew about my problematic reproductive system five months into meeting me. <laughs> this is truly what hopelessness felt like to me. Being stuck in a tunnel with linear vision. Because of the failure to see my world past my ovarian failure, and feeling stuck in this tunnel, I started to think of the only escape being death. It started to make clear sense 
that if I were six feet under, no one would find me. No one would be able to ask questions about why I haven't had kids. If I were six feet under, I wouldn't have to see all the glorious babies my friends have had. None of it would matter, and I would be at peace. Nothing would matter anymore. The thought of death subconsciously started to sound better and better to me, that I simply blurted it out one random day to my husband. I said, I wish I could die. I know this may sound like an overreaction to premature ovarian failure. It isn't a terminal condition, and people have lived long lives managing it. I wasn't faced with a terminal illness, like a terminal cancer. I wasn't faced with war, and I know, I know that. But if that were what it took for people to contemplate death, there would be zero suicides in this world. So I could not see a single thing outside my sham ovaries. And death sounded like a good gift, a good escape. That day, after I told my husband the words, I wish I could die, and saw the look on his face. It was like a light bulb went on in my little narrow tunnel. I thought, oh... I didn't think of this person when I started going down this road. And the next time I spoke to my nieces and saw their beautiful faces, I thought, oh yes, I didn't think of them either. I did not think of anyone when I was thinking of death as an escape. I only thought of myself and my pain. It did not occur to me that were I to actually find death as an escape, I wouldn't only be escaping my pain, I would be transferring this pain to those who love me and those who care about me. That is when I knew it was time to get help. So I started to open up to my husband and became honest with him because I wasn't the only one hurting. My pain was hurting him too. I stopped putting up a strong front, and when I would get triggered by beautiful babies walking down the aisles at Target, I started bringing this up at the dinner table or while watching Spongebob. I started talking about it more and more. Talking about things with him prepared me to start an honest conversation with my family and friends. I sought out those people that had demonstrated a record of caring about me and of being trustworthy. And that's where I started. My sisters, my dad, my mother-in-law, <laughs> my brother, a few close friends. And I could have never in a thousand lifetimes expected such warm, overwhelming love. I definitely would have never received the most incredible gift my sister could have ever given to me, the gift of her eggs. And even though IVF never worked for us, I can never express my full awe and gratitude for such a selfless move. Opening up about my struggle showed me a completely different and beautiful side of my friends whom I had distanced myself from. 
how ready they were to care for me, how ready they were to affirm my worth that isn't to be measured by the function of my reproductive system. So for my beautiful, wonderful, once-in-a-lifetime family and friends, know that I love you and I appreciate you for the support. And if you are struggling on your own, it's time to come out of your isolation. It's time. Start with those people that have shown you over time that you can trust them with your broken pieces. Not everyone, but start there with those who have a record in your life of taking care of you. I have discovered a great online community since premature ovarian failure is so rare and it's not easy to find someone in close proximity with the condition. This online community has become like a lifeline. I appreciate you, my online family. You are all warriors. You have broken the tunnel and you have found a way to keep moving. The beauty about God is that once you have connected with God, it isn't easy to break that connection. It doesn't matter whether we let go or not. He still holds on to us. Opening up about my struggle to those close to me meant going back to my ultimate friend, God. I packed my bags and went to a women's retreat organized by my church. The purpose? To talk with God uninterrupted. Of course, it was awkward at the start, just like with any relationship where you jump ship and then drag yourself back. <laughs> the start is less than clean. But if you have purposed to make it work, it will work. Overall, I walked away from that retreat having tweaked my understanding of God. I recognized that I had grown resentful of God because I perceived him to be withholding the fix to my physical pain or failure, and I had refused to look at all the other great things that have been placed in my life. I had spent time thinking of God as a genie in the sky, refusing to wave his magic hand to repair my broken body, and I rejected him as a comforter in time of grief. Perhaps this is where we have boxed God as humans. We fail to recognize his multifaceted nature and the variation in the nature of our relationship with him. In finding my online community, I discovered a wonderful lady whose resources gave me hope, kept my faith moving, and offered some direction in relating with God while facing a difficult situation. And we are going to meet her in the next episode. But... I now ultimately understand that God's role in my life is not only to stop the storm from coming, but also to secure this house with an anchor when the storm hits. Thank you for joining me for this episode of POF The Journey. Find the Instagram account at POF The Journey and follow for updates and more encouragement. Write to me at pofthejourney at gmail.com. Send me your feedback, send me your questions. I am happy to open dialogue. And sharing is caring. Be a good friend. Share this episode with someone struggling with finding hope during a childless season. 
again. I am Daphne. Till next time, stay well.